Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Welcome to the Cocky Ride Home for Tuesday, December 7th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, how SpaceX's giant Starship rocket could herald a new generation of space exploration. Plus, all sound recordings from the mid-1800s to 1923 are going to be released to the U.S. public domain on January 1st. And Heinz and Terry's have partnered to create a chocolate orange mayonnaise. Yeah, here are some of the cool things from the news today. Next month, SpaceX is planning to launch the biggest rocket ever. The super heavy lift launch vehicle is almost 400 feet tall, and while Musk hopes it will one day be used to take humans to Mars, some scientists are starting to be intrigued by the notion that it could also be used for non-human spaceflight that would explore further reaches of our solar system. Quoting the MIT Technology Review, Starship, which is being built at a Texas site dubbed Starbase, consists of a giant spaceship on top of a large booster, known as Super Heavy heavy. Both can land back on Earth so they can be reused, reducing costs. The entire vehicle will be capable of lifting 100 metric tons, or 220,000 pounds, of cargo and people into space on regular, low-cost missions. The volume of usable space within Starship is a whopping 1,000 cubic meters, big enough to fit the entire Eiffel Tower disassembled. And that's got scientists excited. Starship is like, wow, says James Head, a planetary scientist from Brown University, end quote. I love that quote. Starship is like, wow. But it's true, and there are a number of reasons why scientists are so excited. For one, it's cheaper. Missions wouldn't have to be prioritized to quite the extent they are now because agencies could afford to do more launches. Not that the launch is the only thing that costs money. You have to develop the spacecraft as well, and if we really went whole hog, we might run out of facilities at which to test those crafts. But Starship has some unique features that could potentially cut costs in other ways. Quoting again, the upper half of the rocket is designed to be refueled in Earth orbit by other starships, so more of its lifting capability can be handed over to scientific equipment rather than fuel. Taking humans to the moon, for example, might require eight separate launches, with each consecutive tanker starship bringing up fuel to the lunar starship that then makes its way to the moon with scientific equipment and crew. End quote. Or from Ars Technica, quote, Consider that SpaceX might provide a regular rideshare flight to Jupiter every two years. Several large and small probes might be carried by a single starship using its power and propulsion to reach the Jupiter system. And once there, each spacecraft could fly into their orbits or destinations and rely on starship for a communications relay back to Earth. This would provide a huge mass and propellant savings on each spacecraft, end quote. 
And speaking of mass, I've spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about the many experiments being done in space and on Earth to utilize resources and materials in space, on the moon, etc., because the payload is in such short supply. But with Starship, you could bring way more, and it could even be full-sized, fully functioning. Jennifer Heldman of NASA Ames Research Center gave the example in a recent white paper of taking a whole drilling rig to the moon. You could drill down a kilometer and then and bring back samples of what you find because there would still be a bunch of room on the ship for souvenirs. And quoting again from ours, SpaceX's new Starship rocket, with its unprecedented lift capabilities and potentially paradigm-shattering low costs, could open up the solar system to a new era of exploration. Imagine sending a lander to Europa, which harbors a vast, warm subsurface ocean. During recent NASA planning meetings, scientists contemplated sending a complex spacecraft costing billions of dollars to conduct science on Europa. At best, they were hoping to land a payload of science instruments about the size and mass of a mini-fridge up there. With Starship, by contrast, NASA might land a cache of scientific payloads the size of a single-story unfurnished house. Because Starship can take off from other worlds in addition to landing on them, it could completely transform a Mars sample return mission. Instead of being able to handle two kilograms of rocks, Starship might be able to return two metric tons. End quote. Mars, Europa, there are so many possibilities. Other scientists have talked about using Starship to send a probe to Io, Jupiter's volcanic moon, or out to Neptune and Triton, its largest moon. A group of international scientists has been working on this idea with their spacecraft Arcanum, quoting the MIT Tech Review. Neptune has been visited only once, a flying visit by NASA's Voyager 2 spacecraft in 1989, and there is so much we still don't know about it. Weighing in at about 21 metric tons, Arcanum would be four times heavier than the largest deep space probe to date, NASA and ESA's Cassini-Huygens mission, which explored Saturn from 2004 to 2017. No existing rocket could currently launch such a craft, but Starship would make it possible. Arcanum would have numerous components, including an orbiter to study Neptune, a lander to study Triton, and a penetrator to strike Triton's surface and perform a seismic experiment to understand its geology and its structure. The mission could also be equipped with a telescope, allowing for studies of the outer solar system and aiding the hunt for planets around other stars." End quote. Speaking of telescopes, that's another thing that Starship could do. Launch telescopes better. Right now, huge telescopes like the upcoming James Webb Space Telescope have to be folded up, which is an endlessly complicated and error-prone process. With Starship, no folding would be required. There's also an idea from Philip Lubin, a physicist from the University of California, Santa Barbara, that Starship could be used to break up an asteroid to prevent it from hitting Earth. Quote, such a mission could carry enough explosives to rip apart an asteroid as large as the 10-kilometer-wide rock that wiped out the dinosaurs. Its fragments would harmlessly burn up in the atmosphere before it had a chance to reach our planet. End quote. There are tons of ideas being thrown around right now, but first, Starship has to complete its first full rocket launch, booster and all. If all goes well there, Starship could go to Mars for a test flight as early as 2024, and maybe take some NASA probes back there in 2026. 
And, of course, the Lunar Lander version of Starship will be landing the first woman on the moon in 2024, or more likely 2025 or later. But speaking of which, NASA just yesterday announced 10 new astronaut candidates who are joining what the agency is now calling the Artemis Generation. They join 18 others who were announced a year ago, and a few of them may end up being the first ones to walk on the moon in over 50 years. In just a few weeks, on January 1st, all sound recordings that were published before January 1st, 1923, will enter the U.S. public domain. That's over 10,000 sound recordings dating from around 1860 through 1922, and includes Broadway hits, the works of Scott Joplin, some of Thomas Edison's experiments, the first recording of Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, tons of songs from the beginning of the popular jazz era, and so much more. Now, the new year is always exciting, with old works entering the public domain, but this drop is a little different, and it's happening courtesy of the 2018 Music Modernization Act. Quoting the Public Domain Review, Prior to this act, these recordings were not due to enter the public domain until 2067, a gigantic 144 years or more after the work's creation. This is because until the 1970s, sound recordings were not protected by federal law, a copyright term of 95 years, but rather a messy mix of state, country, and city laws. Why the difference? When the Copyright Act of 1909 was passed, sound recording was sufficiently nascent as to not be included. It was only the underlying written work, musical score, lyrics, script, etc., that was covered, leaving recordings to the whims of other systems. Many local laws, in fact, ended up including recordings under common law, which had ownership set to never expire. While the Sound Recordings Act of 1971 and the Copyright Act of 1976 remedied this situation for recordings made after February 14, 1972, older recordings were still left uncovered. But the Music Modernization Act has changed this, and recordings will soon come under federal law. Not only will all pre-1923 sound recordings enter the U.S. public domain in 2022, but recordings from 1923 will enter in 2023, those from 1924 in 2024, and so on up into and including 2046. And then, so as to make sure things aren't too straightforward, we switch from 100 years to 110 years, meaning that under the current law, we'd need to wait until 2057 before more recordings enter the public domain. End quote. A little convoluted, but copyright kind of always is. Now, part of what's getting released is over 10,000 acoustical recordings made by the Victor Talking Machine Company in the first quarter of the 20th century. So that's popular music, speeches, readings, skits, etc. And those recordings are actually currently available to stream on the Library of Congress's site under their National Jukebox Collection. And they note that the collection is so massive, it would take you 20 continuous days to listen to all of it. So there's a challenge for all of you who had six figures in your total listening time on your Spotify wrapped this year. Now, as for other works entering the U.S. public domain in 2022 as part of normal public domain operations, that is, works by people who died 70 years ago and works published in 1926, we've got such highlights as The Works of Louis Armstrong and Sinclair Lewis, as well as The Sun Also Rises by Ernest Hemingway and the Winnie the Pooh books. Not quite as exciting as The Great Gatsby last year, but, I mean, hey, I wonder what kind of Winnie the Pooh remixes we'll see. 
And if you want to follow along in the lead-up to Public Domain Day on January 1st, the Public Domain Review is doing an Advent-style countdown, releasing information about one work each day. Link to that is in the show notes. Heinz is at it again. Fresh from their tomato blood costume stunt for Halloween, they have now partnered with Terry's to make a chocolate orange mayonnaise. Terry's is the company that makes the best version of those chocolate oranges. A press release called this new monstrosity, quote, the festive mashup that you didn't know you needed. I think it's more like the festive mashup you were so determined to see if you could do, you never stopped to think if you should. Though the companies do seem to be a bit aware that this could be a tough sell to some people, the label on the jar literally says, seriously good, like they're trying to convince you. And honestly, I think the design of the jar is part of what turns me off. It's got this kind of striped pattern to show the mix of chocolate and orange, but it just reminds me of a jar of goober. Remember that Smucker's Nightmare that combines peanut butter and jelly into the same jar? Not the most appetizing when you're past the age of eight, so the fact that the chocolate orange mayonnaise jar looks just like that is not helping matters, in my opinion. But alright, chocolate orange mayo. What does that even mean? Is there actually mayonnaise in it, or are they just calling it that when it's really more like a Nutella? Apparently, there is actually mayonnaise in it. It contains melted Terry's chocolate orange, creme patisserie, Terry's chocolate orange's real orange oil, and Heinz mayonnaise. Despite that, it is designed to be eaten a bit like Nutella. Instead of spreading it on your sandwiches or dipping your french fries in it, they advertise it being spread on toast, croissants, and crumpets. Unlike other alternatively awesome and horrific limited edition products, this one won't actually be available in stores. You can only get your hands on it by entering a sweepstakes on Heinz's website before December 13th. And sadly, for most of you listening, the promotion is only open to residents of the United Kingdom. Heinz and Terry's have yet to unleash this horror upon us Americans, but let's be honest, we could probably come up with worse ourselves. I mean, Exhibit A, Goober. All right, well, that is it from me for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotke.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.